calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 11. Two. Ah, just the man I was hoping to see. Come, Gabe, sit. This, this, my friend, is Scotch whiskey. Alistair waved the gold-filled glass in Gabe's general direction. See if you can't train your fellow to recognize the real stuff. No more Shetland pony piss. Gabe seized Alistair's cane from where it was propped against the empty chair and fought off the urge to beat him with it. We have a major problem. Alistair sat up, though far too slowly. His gaze slid toward Jordan behind the bar before he turned back to Gabe with chilly regard. What seems to be the matter? There's a barge on the Voltava. I was walking past it, and I think I sensed something. Gabe swallowed. What was wrong with him? He hadn't even scanned the bar properly before he'd launched into his story. If Drahomir had overheard him, or that third secretary from the Ministry of the Interior, or whatever goddamn cultural attaché. No. Just Alistair... Jordan, and a few shady types that had the wild-haired, charm-hung look of hippies or witches or both. Gabe dropped into the chair and clutched Alistair's cane in his lap. It's flame. Has to be. Gabe spoke beneath his breath, despite the soupy psychedelic chords dribbling out of the jukebox in the far corner. I'm telling you, whatever's on that boat, it has something to do with with how I got this thing to begin with. Barge on the Voltava, Alistair repeated. Flat-bottomed, German registration, yes? Gabe reared back, blinking. I, I think so, yes. What? He leaned in, conspiratorial. 
Does Ice already know about it? Well, I should hope so. Alistair laughed to himself. It's our own. Nothing you need to worry about. Ah, but it's sweet of you to be concerned. I take it you're getting better at differentiating then. Your little bloodhound is becoming quite the boon. That was the trouble he had with reading old school bureaucrats like Alistair, Gabe thought, searching the man's face. They lied so much it had eroded all hint of their tells. Even their truths smelled like they were dipped in bullshit. Sure, Gabe heard himself answer. It's fine. Jordan gave him a warning look from where she stood at the bar. Amazing how loud she could be without making a sound. Gabe almost felt duly chastened. But Gabe was almost a lot of things. Almost a great spy. Almost a worthwhile investment for Frank. Almost a witch. Almost willing to trust the ice. Oh, Alistair remarked breezily, abruptly shifting topics far less adroitly than usual. Before I forget, I've brought you something. Bribery? Really, Al? Gabe managed a wry smile in spite of himself. Come on, what do you take me for? Please, it's, it's Alistair. His eyelashes fluttered in mock distress. And it's not a bribe. I think you might find it quite useful. Alistair set something on the table between them, and Gabe turned his head this way and that, seeking meaning in this ink blot. It looked a little bit like the charms Jordan had pressed upon him, bits of cloth sewn together with some sort of element stitched into the pouches, like dirt or hair or iron shavings. But this one was fringed with a variety of strings and wires, each one wrapped around a different chunk of rock or twig or herbs. Carved stone lined each face of the main pouch, each stone dented with a shallow groove, as if there were something intended to fit into it. Just what I've always wanted. Al, you shouldn't have. Gabe tried and failed to find a suitable handle on the mess. He had no idea how to pick it up. Did you make this at craft night? Oh, don't be such a snob. It's an amplification charm. One of my own specialities. Specialities, Gabe echoed to himself. So British. You have access to 20 different elements in this charm. It required no less than six witches working in concert to charge that thing. But I think you'll find it contains sufficient power to utilize these elements for... Well, for just about any spell you currently know how to wield. The 20 most common elements. Gabe could sense the hitchhiker shifting around, leaning into the pull of each of the elements in their own way. The maple and the jade. The loamy soil inside the pouch. The crystal and quartz. Everything he needed to conduct a ritual of his own. Assuming he was ever trusted with the knowledge of just how to do that. Perhaps reading his expression, Alistair leaned forward and placed one hand gently over Gabe's wrist. It is your choice, of course, but should you decide that you are comfortable with continuing along this journey with the ice, then we can begin teaching you in earnest. Imagine it. Alistair's lips softened in a smile. True mastery, 
No longer having to ask your friend there to work spells for you, or anyone else. You'd be in command of your own power. Gabe barked a laugh. Well, that's not entirely true now, is it? He frowned. I'd be at the ice's mercy. Alistair leaned away. The ice can keep you safe, he said carefully. Perhaps that's not such a terrible thing to be, under someone's protection. But Gabe thought that was something he was better off deciding for himself. It was a Tuesday morning, and Gabe had hoped to spend his free morning sniffing around the university and seeing if he could find anything about what happened to the student, Andula. Then he needed to review guest lists and dossiers for that night's party for the French National Day festivities, as if the assignment required any preparation beyond liver-strengthening exercises. No, Gabe decided. This was far more interesting. He let the clean January air gust over him as he studied the barge. Though the lower currents of the Voltava had thawed, the barge was still stymied by a thin crust of ice across the surface that refused to yield. The crayon blue sky spoke sweet lies of warmth and sunshine, but Prague knew better. Those twisting, snarled-up alleys whittled the wind down to a fine point, jabbing through every weak point in his clothing's defenses. The kind of weather where everyone burrowed their chins deep down in their scarves and kept their eyes on their own feet. The perfect weather, Gabe thought, for getting up to nothing good. Gabe moved down along the quay to get a closer look at the barge. The tinted glass of the cabin offered up only shadows, but Gabe was pretty sure he saw movement. He kept a safe distance, still trying to look like no one in particular, just a fellow out for an ill-advised morning stroll. He reached a bench at just the right angle along the keys to offer a windbreak, and, taking a seat, pulled a notebook from his breast pocket and studied his scribbles with calculated earnestness. Then he let his elemental senses out to play. Blood. Again he sensed it, overwhelming and dense and crackling with something that Gabe could only imagine must be power. The blood was definitely related to some spellwork, had been used as a conduit for a ritual, perhaps. But there were other elements in large doses, too. Water, something far purer than what lurked under the river's ice. But it tasted frosty in Gabe's mouth, like accidentally swallowing an ice cube. When he tried to focus on it too much, it began to sting. Something else prickled his senses, hidden in whatever magic was emanating from the barge. But it was a duller sting. It reminded Gabe of Novocaine, spreading in a slow creep of tingle and numb. Whatever element or mixture of elements caused that sensation, he knew it was a combination Alistair hadn't taught him. Gabe waited a few minutes, watching the cabin for further signs of life. But whoever was inside the cabin had either stopped moving or had vanished into a lower deck, if there was one. No sign of any other guards, though Gabe supposed he'd have to rely on the hitchhiker's senses to help him detect any sort of magical wards? Sentinels? Did witches use such things? He tucked his notebook away and approached the boat, keeping one of the many shipping containers blocking the line of sight between him and the cabin.
Gabe felt the spark, the awareness inside of him lean into the motion. Something about those new elements excited it, or maybe the combination of them? Gabe couldn't be quite sure which. He had to know what was on that boat, and why Alistair had seemed so cagey about it. If he was ever going to be able to trust the ice, then he needed to see their dark corners as well as their glossy exteriors. Put this unease in him to rest so he could get back to his real work without magical conundrums following him around. The sooner he could do that, the better. He studied the hull, the low ladder that swung up and over the railing and plunged into the icy Voltava. Chunks of fractured ice spiraled away from it, sloshing back and forth as the boat swayed, a dull echo of the roaring water beneath the surface. The Voltava wasn't particularly deep, but he didn't relish the idea of plunging through the ice, which seemed just likely enough a scenario to give him pause. A quick glance back up at the cabin, still no movement. He circled past the barge, approaching the key's pathway underneath the foot of the Charles Bridge, but could spot no other likely entrance point. No, wait. There was one likely entrance point. It would just require some magical assistance. Fortunately, he had a leather satchel brimming with all the spare charms Jordan kept pushing on him, the ones he had thus far patently refused to activate. Time to make use of them. Gabe returned to the bridge to better position himself above the barge, and, leaning against the railing, dug through his satchel. Which one did Jordan say would give him five seconds of invisibility? Apparently, any longer than five seconds, and the spell needed multiple witches to charge. And as Gabe so loved to point out to her, she was somewhat short on friends. Each charm he sorted through provoked a different reaction from the hitchhiker, pulling it this way and that, the different combinations of elements banging out ferocious piano chords on Gabe's nerves. There it was the shimmering chunks of mirror bound with silvery wiring around a mixture Gabe couldn't identify. Then he scrounged through the bag for the charm to dampen sound for one second. The silencer, Jordan had called it, when you don't have a silencer on hand. Gabe had imagined a very different use for that charm, one he hoped never to require. He liked this application much better, all right, hitchhiker, time to make yourself useful. Gabe poured his energy into the invisibility charm, and as he glanced down at his hand clutching the charm, his skin shimmered and faded away. Five. It was time. He swung up and onto the railing of the Charles Bridge, then shifted the empowerment to the silencing charm. Four. Three. Two. His boots struck the top of one of the barge's shipping crates with only the faintest thump instead of the resonant bong he'd feared. One. Gabe was crouched on top of the container as he wafted back into view. He was visible now, but at least no one had seen the demented American flinging himself off the bridge or heard him crash into the barge below. It was about the best he dared to hope for, and given the nature of the rest of the charms in his bags, concealing a piece of text, 
twisting someone's opinion favorably toward you with the dimmest of pulls, he'd probably exhausted all of his magical options for this mission. Gabe shimmied toward the back of the container, the end furthest from the cabin, then dropped down onto the barge's deck. A sheet of ice coated the deck, shiny as a plastic slipcover. No handrails, only a slight lip to the barge. If he didn't keep his balance and his grip, he was sure to go sliding straight into the river. Gabe reached out to steady himself on the heavy padlock that sealed the cargo hold beneath deck, then paused. The lock had been recently used, the ice around it chipped clean away. Maybe the consortium of ice was using the barge for storage then, a base of operations. But for what? Ritual components? Taking advantage of the ley lines in Prague to charge up some charms before shipping them around the globe? Alistair had made it sound like the ice's top priority in Prague was to prevent the flame from gaining access to either hosts or the unique power sources available in the city. But he also had sounded none too interested in letting Gabe in on the barge's contents, which either meant it wasn't at all related to those goals or was related in new and terrifying ways that he didn't want Gabe to know about. Gabe looked forward to finding everything Alistair didn't want him to know. Gabe dug into the front pouch of his satchel, where he kept his more mundane tools of the trade. If this had been a Prague station operation, Frank would have burst a vein on his forehead at the idea of one of his officers out picking locks in broad daylight. The nature of the station's spycraft in a city, rather than a war zone, meant Gabe primarily served as a wordsmith, wooing men like Drahomir, and almost never anything as risky as B&E. Gabe rarely got to work the type of ops that involved putting his foot through things. Doors, walls, skulls. Gabe pulled a slender file from the pouch and got to work. The pins in the lock stuck easily enough in the cold, even the springs reluctant to uncoil. But when he tugged at the padlock to open it, it clicked but didn't budge. Gabe tugged harder, then harder still. He got the distinct impression the hitchhiker might have been laughing at him. Spell work. It had to be. Some sort of warding. When he gripped the lock tightly, he could feel the faint shift on his tongue and his skin, pulling him like a weak magnet. As he adjusted to its frequency, it soon became clear that the ward was stronger than he'd first thought. Damn it. He didn't know enough about magic to understand how the wards even worked in the first place, much less to puzzle out a way to get around them. Time to look for another means inside. Maybe if he had the luxury of coming back at night with some bolt cutters, or something that could dismantle the hinges on the hatch door, where they might not have thought to ward it. But he was already spending too much time on this bizarre quest as it was. The loud crack of the cabin door banging in the wind stopped that line of thought. Who's there? Someone called out in check. Gabe quickly sorted through his options. He could try magic, maybe if he didn't mind setting his hair on fire, or something similarly clumsy. He could try to hide. He could face down a wary and possibly dangerous witch, 
or he could dive into the frigid Voltava. The last one was no option at all, not in this cold. The first option, hiding, would be his usual choice, but he suspected that whoever was operating on this barge wouldn't be as easy to evade as the vodka-addled STB agents he was accustomed to giving the slip. Well, if he couldn't use magic, Gabe decided on the next best thing, bald-faced lies, which always kind of looked like magic anyway. Arneson, he said, pulling a name like a rabbit from the depths of his working memory and realizing only too late that it was the name of one of his targets at tonight's party. Piers Arneson, Morozova sent me? The man rounded the containers. Gabe noticed, with what he hoped was a straight face, that his interlocutor had a pistol tucked in his waistband, partially concealed by a heavy parka. He supposed there were some threats even magic couldn't guard against. I have not heard this name. The man's words hung in the air before him, little white tufts of suspicion. Well, you should have. She asked me to come in, special, to do inventory. Gabe took a deep breath. Now for a big leap. She wanted me to make sure no one was walking off with the... Gabe searched his brain for an appropriately vague word. Merchandise. There. Give the KGB woman something to chew on if she got wind of him snooping around. Merchandise. The man laughed, but there was no humor to it. No glimmer of joy to his eyes. No, no one informed me of this. How did you get on this boat? Gabe cursed himself for not pocketing one of those charismatic charms. The same way you did. He gave him a blank look and hoped the man's conclusions could stand in for whatever means, magical or non. The man eyed Gabe again, rubbing his mouth and chin, disrupting the weft of his thick, dark mustache. I was not informed of this, he said again. That lovely Slavic devotion to hierarchy, tinged with the bitterness of being left out of the loop. Gabe had used it to his advantage more than once. So check it with Alistair. Please be my guest. Gabe smiled with only a hint of teeth. Bring him down here. Make him explain the need for inventory. I'm certain he'd be just thrilled to step away from his sensitive operation, to have to repeat himself when you missed his message. The man's other hand, the one not rubbing at his chin, was dipping toward his waistband. Of course, Gabe said in a rush, I have my credentials. The man rocked back on his heels, just a fraction. From Alistair, yes? Is that what you're looking for? Let me see it. That accent made everything sound like a death threat. Gabe reached into his satchel. It's right in here. I'm going to take it out very slowly, see? He'd been on the other end of this sort of exchange enough to do the work for both of them. Didn't stop the fresh bead of sweat from running down his temple as the man hovered over him. Showing you my bag, taking it out very slowly. Gabe's fingers curled around the main body of the charm Alistair had given him, an involuntary reaction. 
A thousand different sensations played across his mouth, his nose, his skin, his inner ears. Alistair had said it required a fairly sophisticated ritual to craft a charm like this one. Gabe just hoped that it was sophisticated enough to mark it as Alistair's own work. The man's hand moved away from his waist, and he reached for the charm. Oh, the man said, as his fingers brushed against the charm. Oh, I see. Gabe resisted the urge to gloat, though it took some effort. Is that enough of a credential for you? Something whispered between the two of them. Gabe might have thought it was only a breeze, if he hadn't been training with Alistair. Now, though, he knew better. The man was channeling something. Testing the charm, maybe, to verify its provenance. Perhaps there was some sort of ritual he could conduct to prove that Gabe hadn't killed Alistair and ripped the charm from his cold, dead, but still well-moisturized hands. Who knew what magic was capable of? Not Gabe. He was humble enough to admit that to himself. Depending on what he discovered inside the boat's hold, though, maybe it was finally time he learned. Yes, the man said at last. That will be acceptable. The boat guard wrapped his fist around the lock. If he noticed it had been picked, he gave no hint of it. Another whisper, strumming across Gabe's senses in a subtler, sweeter-tasting way, and the lock popped off. You go ahead, the man said. I'll wait for you out here. Only because he was looking for it did Gabe notice the tension in the man's throat, in his upraised chin. Whatever was inside, the guard wanted no part of it. Gabe raised the hatch's lid and lowered himself into the hold. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Three. Somewhere in the depths of the Soviet embassy, a clock chimed. Zarena Polnock looked up from the letter she'd been writing and pressed her lips together. Her guest was late. Not that she expected any better from them, but it disappointed her all the same. This was Prague, after all. The jewel of Eastern Europe, the glittering gold gate of the Iron Curtain. She shouldn't have to resort to such primitive, unreliable sources to get things done. And yet, here she was. She turned back to the letter before her, the tangle of Roman letters and Arabic numbers spaced out into a long and rambling message its secrets illegible to anyone but the intended recipient. A one-time pad was a precious thing, unbreakable, as long as it was used properly, which was to say, exactly once. Zarena found that the same applied to most things and people in her life. A short knock at the door, hesitant and light. A sneer curled her upper lip as she lifted her head, mentally marking her place in the message she was encoding. What is it? One of the maids, Erzabet, something of the sort, stuck her head through the office door. They've brought your dress choices for tonight's party. Did you want to select one now? Zarena let the pen tip rest against her lips for a moment, then glanced back at her correspondence. No, leave them in my dressing room. I'll deal with them later. Of course, ma'am. The maid dropped into a curtsy without coming fully through the doorway, then left with a soft click of the latch. Zarena smiled to herself. How bourgeois. She was a student of the revolution, an architect of the cold snap that put an end to the Prague Spring. And here she was, ensconced in her castle, with the servants bending to her will like flowers to the sun. But she'd earned her place here. She'd done what anyone had the capacity to do, if not the fortitude, and there was plenty more work to be done. Zarena finished transcribing her notes, waved the paper dry, then folded it up. She had just unlocked the drawer where she kept her seals when another knock came on the door. Come on in. Zarena slipped the letter into the drawer and settled into the wingback chair. Marcel. One of the Komsomol Youth League students at the university she'd taken under her wing. Only, she checked the slender watch on her wrist with no particular effort to conceal that she was doing so. 23 minutes late. I trust you're late because you were being thorough. She could toss the rope to them, 
but they had to swim to it themselves, and Marcel did not. I, I'm sorry, ma'am. I had to speak to Professor Hashek after class and then drop some books at the library on my way over here and, well, it's not important to you. Zarena leveled her gaze at him. Anyway, you did get my, my message, yes? He shifted his bag from one shoulder to the other. For our friends in Moscow? Zarena considered a withering response, informing him he wasn't half so subtle as he believed himself to be, but decided against it. The information he thought was invaluable was useless. It was everything else she needed from him. But to get that everything else, she had to keep him happy and his ego sufficiently stroked. For now. Oh, yes. She gave him a cold smile. I've already cabled it back to them. I know they will be very pleased with your work. The tension in his shoulders dissipated at that, and he hazarded a grin. You're providing me a very valuable service to the cause, Marcel. Turning the tide in the university. Leading them away from all those foolish dubjack sycophants. Zarena picked up her pen again and let it dance through her fingers for a few seconds, as if hesitant. I do worry, though, about your attention to detail. He swallowed, Adam's apple twitching at his unbuttoned collar. What do you mean? I've heard some troubling things about your friend. The girl who presented Professor Hashek at the lecture, yes? With the... Zarena pantomimed over her own razor-straight hair. Andula? Marcel ventured. Yes, that was it. Zarena snapped her fingers. I have not seen her around in several days, and none of your friends have either. Marcel puffed up his chest. Andula's clever, but she'll never be loyal to the cause, if you don't mind my saying. I think it's a waste of your efforts if you're looking to recruit her. Zarena peered down her aquiline nose at him. Didn't say anything, just held the stare for several seconds until the boy took a step back. I, he swallowed again and clutched his satchel higher against his chest. I'm sorry, ma'am. It was only my opinion. It was a very limited one, Zarena said. She tossed her head back, pale hair cascading. Her willingness to aid us is only a very small part of what use she can serve. Marcel raised one eyebrow. How do you mean? You did not notice the American men who took an interest in her after the presentation? Serena laid the pen back down before her. The blonde man and his curly-haired friend trying to speak to her, perhaps too eagerly. Marcel shook his head. No, I, and who do you suppose those men might be? No, no, it doesn't even matter. Any permutation is unwelcome. What matters is that they showed her too much interest. The reason, too, is unimportant. They believe Andula has some use to them. And so, we must make her useful first. You think the Americans have detained her? Marcel asked. 
I just don't think they, they would have taken her, or, I mean, she has family in the countryside, and maybe she went to see them for a sudden illness, or, or who knows? It could be anything. Now it was Zarena's turn to lift a brow. You never mentioned her family in the country before. She made a note in an open leather-bound journal before her. What else have you forgotten to bring up? No, I've told you everything else I know. He frowned. I'm sure she's fine. I'll do my best to find out where she's gone. Maybe Professor Hashek knows. We attend this class together. Or our friend... You understand why I must worry for her, Serena continued. You would wish me to worry the same way for you, yes? He lowered his gaze, speaking to his shoes. Yes, ma'am. There are so many unfortunate things that can happen to people like us, to people who dare to take risks. He worked his jaw. I'll do whatever it takes, ma'am, for the good of the cause. I promise you. I know you will. Her smile bared just a sliver of teeth. But you must remain vigilant of these dangers, from the Americans, from other forces besides. I would hate for something similar to befall you, or because you could not pay attention. I... I understand. He held one palm up, wincing away from her. You understand. And you will find out what happened to Andula as well? He nodded again, backing up into the door. I'm so very glad to hear it. Zarena reached for the drawer once more. Best of luck on your exams, Marcel. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Kao. 
Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers, Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like The Witch Who Came In From The Cold by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.